Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome to Issues 2020. I'm Steve McIntosh. Our guest is Greg Zerker with the Blackley Airport Memorial Foundation. Welcome to Issues 2020, Greg. Nice to have you with us. Thank you, Steve. It's good to be here. We're going to begin with some background on you, Greg. Uh, you didn't count on this, but <laughs> some probing questions. Where are you from, and what do you do for a living? I was born in Kansas City, but moved to Wichita when I was two years old, and I've lived here about 55 out of my 62 years. So I call myself a native Wichita. I work as a blackjack dealer at the Star Casino. Oh, really? How long Believe it or not, yes. How long have you been doing that? Four years. Okay. Did you do anything before that, or were you just kind of meandering around the country by yourself, or what? <laughs> no, no. I I worked in sales. Uh, worked in. I owned my ins- own insurance agency for a while. I also served in the Army Reserves and the Air Force Reserves for 22 years. And... Uh, I'm a K-State graduate and a graduate of Cape of Mount Carmel High School. Okay, so so you spent some time in the military. Tell us about your military career. Then. Well, my goal was to be a soldier when I was a little boy. I, I wanted to be a soldier, and I waited till I was 33, Steve, to enter the, the Air Force Reserves. And uh, I wish I would have done it earlier, right out of high school or, or, or after my degree. But uh, – I, I just felt I was like a duck to water. I just uh, adopted well to military service. Uh, I, I uh, the, uh, the job was challenging. I was an F-16 instrument and flight control technician, avionics tech on uh, uh, here at McConnell for a while. Uh, every day was an adventure, a learning curve. Uh, got to learn and, and uh, pick the brains of men who were done it longer and, and were smarter than me. And then uh, I... Uh, cross-trained over to the Army in 1999 to go through OCS, or Officer Candidate School. Did that in 2001, did very well, and uh, uh, was an infantry officer in Baghdad. And uh, and then later on, I cross-trained over to train on uh, public affairs. I became a military journalist, basically, and I did that in Afghanistan in 2010-2011. And I retired in 2013. Okay. Now, you are a member of the board for the Blackley Airport Memorial Foundation. Who are, who are the other board members on this? Well, the, the other board members, there's two of them. Doug Jacobs is uh, from, uh, he was born in Liberal, grew up in Liberal, actually born in Oklahoma, but grew up in Liberal. And he lived most of his life in Topeka. He is a, the Blackley's official, Erwin Blackley's official biographer. He has been working on Blackley and a book on him since 1994. And Doug is a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel in the Army National Guard. <laughs> Excuse me, Steve. And uh, he probably knows more about Irwin Blackley than anybody in the world. 
I'd not say probably, I think it's definite he does. And he's instrumental in getting Bleckley admitted to the Kansas National Guard Hall of Fame. And, um, and so Doug is a key ingredient. I met him two and a half years ago in early 2018. And together we put together Bleckley Day, uh, which was uh, two years yesterday on the anniversary of his death, 100th anniversary. The third board member is Grant Shoemaker. He's a native Wichita, uh, North High graduate from 1970. And he is a, he, he's a Wichita State grad, and he went on to sell air, uh, 747s to the Far East Division of Boeing Aircraft in the late 70s, early 80s, first half of the 80s. Then he became a pilot. Uh, well, he was a pilot before then. Then he flew commercially for Boeing, uh, 747s and 757s for Eastern Airlines, and then lastly, 30 years for Alaska Airlines, and retired about three years ago. He and his wife, Kathy, live on Orcas Island, Washington, north of Seattle, near the Canadian border, and he still owns uh, his own plane. He's just immersed in aviation. His family history is uh, World War II, World War I. Uh, Grant never served personally, but... Uh, he he may as well. He knows us. He knows a ton about military history. Okay. And I've been following Erwin Blackley since, <coughs> excuse me, Steve, the mid 1990s, when Becky Tanner wrote a series of articles about him in the Wichita Eagle. So who was so Erwin? That's my history. Who was Erwin Beck Blackley then? Let's get into this thing. He was born in Wichita on December 30th, 1894. Uh, his family, his parents, uh, I don't know if you'd call them pioneer families in Wichita, but they came here in the 1870s or 80s. So they're part of the early history, Colonel E.E. E. and uh, Margaret Buckley, Irwin's parents. They go way back in Wichita's early history. Irwin was the, uh, was the oldest of four kids, um, and he uh, is, uh, uh, was a very good student in high school, uh, uh, loved math, was uh, good-looking, uh, worked as a bank pay teller. He handled large sums of money at uh, the Fourth National Bank. His father was a vice president at the Fourth National Bank in the late, mid-19-teens and late teens. And when the call, the draft came out for World War One in early June of 1917, just two months after we entered the war, Irwin and his best friend Frank Priest decided to enlist instead of be drafted they want to pick their own branch and their job and whatnot so they enlisted in the army national the kansas national guard and a month later they became they were commissioned officers why Irwin and frank priest had what you would call the right stuff they were personal they were good looking not just that they had the character the virtues the smarts they were recruiting posters for the guard too and they were used for that for a while Erwin Bleckley had what you would call the right stuff, had the character, the virtues, the, the motivation to do well whatever he was doing. He was an extremely promising, young, bright young man. Okay, so now we're, we're, we want to talk about the Medal of Honor, a recipient of the Medal of Honor. So what did he actually did, did Bleckley do to uh, deserve this recognition then? Well, gosh, his, 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 his heroism is off the charts. Um, his Medal of Honor, he served, he, he wanted to go into aviation service in the military. His parents forbid him from doing that, but he never lost the bug. So he became an artillery officer. And uh, they were sent to France in early 1918. He, his training occurred, of course, in 1917, early 1918. Uh, sent to France in early 1918, joined, the call went out for air observers and backseat pilots. 
And Irwin, since he was excellent at math, was a good uh, was a good shot with a machine gun or a, or a rifle, and uh, and uh, wanted to be in aviation. Volunteered and was sent for training as an air observer, air observer, and and backseat gunner, and that's what he became. He was attached to the 50th Aero Squadron. <laughs> they took part in the Saint Mihil offensive in mid September of 1918, and then starting on uh, September 26 of that year took part in the Meuse-Argonne offensive, which is the, to this day, Steve, the Meuse-Argonne is the largest offensive that American military has ever taken place, uh, taken part of, even more so than World War II. I think 600,000 American troops took part in that offensive, and he was part of it. And so they're doing missions, and uh, they're, they're locating enemy positions, and uh, it, it was a dangerous job. They took fire. And then in early October of that year, the call went out that there was a unit the 77th Division, largely comprised of New York soldiers, had overrun, uh, had, had achieved, achieved their objective, but their flanks on right and left, uh, the flanking units, American and French units, did not keep up. And they were surrounded and besieged by German sh- soldiers in what they call the pocket in what's known as Charlevoix Ravine near Bienerville, France, in the Meuse-Argonne Forest. And so... These guys were running out of ammo. Uh, they were being killed uh, dozens daily. Um, they lost, Out of 554 men, they lost 197 to death, 194 to uh, missing or wounded in action, and, um, uh, or, I, I'm sorry, 150 to that, and 194 actually walked out uh, after six or seven days of being besieged. Well, their, their plight was so dire that the newsmen caught on to it, and somebody called in the lost battalion, even though they weren't lost. They knew where they were. Our, our, our uh, command and control knew where they were. They were just besieged, surrounded. So they're running out of few, uh, food, water, medical supplies, ammunition, all the important things you need to conduct a war. So the 50th Aero Squadron was transferred to supply, uh, uh, do the first airdrop in military history from the United States' point of view, to drop supplies down to them, locate them, map them, and eventually uh, amount, so ground units could mount a uh, relief campaign to relieve them. So that's what Irwin and his fellow crewmates did from October 5th, 6th, 7th of 1918. Irwin went out on two missions on the 6th, went out on his first mission, he and his pilot, Harold Gettler, they they got they caught 40 rounds of, uh, of German rounds of bullets, machine gun, rifle rounds, in their fuselage, miraculously, neither Irwin or, Bla- or Gettler were hit, but Irwin thought he caught a glimpse of the unit. They were in a, uh, a pocket only 50 yards wide and 350 yards long, and even if you fly over that longitudinally, you're only going to be over them for about three seconds before you're you're done because planes flew about 125 miles per hour, the DH force. Irwin thought he caught a glimpse. So later in the afternoon, the other mission, there are uh, 12 or 13, I'm sorry, 11 other missions that went out. They all caught significant fire. The missions were terrifying ordeals. Imagine going up, knowing you're going to be fired at, not knowing if you're going to come back down safe and sound, you know. Irwin volunteered anyway, and they agreed to fly lower and slower and attract German fire to... um, use a process of elimination to, to locate the unit and map them and then resupply them. And as his commanding squadron leader, Daniel Morris, Captain Morris said, you know, warned him about the extreme danger facing him. And Irwin was the driving force in that volunteer. Gettler went along with it to his credit. 
And Irwin said, uh, well, we'll make the delivery or die in the attempt. And so they went out. They flew lower and slower than any of the other missions that day. It was a 20-minute flight. And they went back and forth, back and forth, caught a significant fire. After about 20 minutes, Gettler was hit in the head and died instantly. So it was up to Irwin to steer the plane and fly it from the back seat, which he tried to do. Gettler's leaning on the control stick. Irwin was uh, trying to fight that, plus the plane trying to nosedive from the weight of Gettler uh, on the stick. And Irwin guided the plane into Allied territory where it crashed near Bienerville, France, in Allied territory. But there was an eyewitness to that flight named William Edinger, American ambulance driver, and he was from Cincinnati. He watched the entire 20-minute flight, saw all the action, saw the fire that they were taking, and he said it was the, uh, I consider it the, brave, the, the bravest act of courage I have ever seen. Uh-huh. And he was first on the scene. Gettler was dead. The plane was destroyed. Irwin was thrown from the plane. Edinger tried like crazy to, to save him got a French doctor to attend to him. The French doctor said, this boy needs to go to a, uh, a field hospital. So Edinger put him in his ambulance, took him uh, on the roads to an ambu- to a hospital, and Irwin basically died en route. He was held up by a French troop train, and uh, Irwin is buried at, at the Meuse-Argonne Cemetery in France. And what is so significant, uh, Steve, about his heroism is his Medal of Honor was earned with great deliberation and premeditation. He knew he was not going to make it back. In fact, so much so, he updated his will in his quarters before that last second or last flight that day on October 6, 1918. His heroism is off the charts because most Medal of Honors are earned in the heat of the moment. Irwin didn't know he was, he had no idea he was going to earn a Medal of Honor. He just, I think his conscience bothered him. If he didn't take that second flight, Thinking that he saw them earlier on his first flight, he couldn't live with himself. He had to do this, even though he was putting himself at great danger. And so, in my opinion, Steve, it's one of the bravest acts of courage any person from Wichita or the country has ever put himself through. And that's why we have to monument and memorialize him and keep his memory alive forever. He has, His courage is just off the charts. All right, I'm going to have to interrupt you there. You're listening to Issues 2020 on the Intercom radio stations, our guest Retired U.S. Uh, is uh, my guest is Greg Zerker with the uh, Blackley Airport Memorial Foundation. Now let's talk a little bit. Now we want to get into the memorial. Uh, what you want to, the Blackley Memorial? What do you have in mind there? What's going to happen? There's a replica, not a replica. There's a DH four identical to the same one that Irwin flew in in 1918. Uh, it's the same airframe. It's about 85% original parts, same Liberty engine, same original controls from 1918. It was built by the Dayton Wright Company in Dayton, Ohio. It was found in California. A restoration team in Kentucky and Tennessee, headquartered in Bowling Green, Kentucky, took four years and almost 10,000 hours to restore this plane to look like the Bleckley-Gettler plane from 1918, the same markings, make, and model number, and uh, even the same data plate, uh, FAA approved. And unfortunately, on May 2nd, uh, during its first initial test flight, the plane suffered a hard landing. The pilot walked away, but the plane was not destroyed, but it was uh, significantly damaged. And so the, uh, we, got, we, thought, we heard about that a few days later, and they were going to restore the plane and then sell it. So we had a decision to make. Do we want to buy the plane or lose it to somebody else? Well, we had to buy it. 
uh, we, we said, let's buy it because we're going to lose it. And we had uh, the right of first refusal. So we signed a, a purchase agreement on July 30th. And now we have to raise $115,000 to pay the balance of the aircraft off. And then eventually next year, transport it to Wichita for restoration here in Wichita to airworthy status. So it will fly the skies over Wichita for years to come. The second part of the memorial includes a life-size bronze statue of Irwin, his Medal of Honor, and as many artifacts, documents, and photographs as possible uh, displayed inside our airport terminal. So that's the that's the uh, the memorial we have. We call the airplane a living memorial to Irwin, and the static display will be the the display inside the terminal. So will will the airplane then be flyable, and will it be ha- uh, headquartered or hangered here in in Wichita? Absolutely. Once we get it here to Wichita, we don't we don't want it to leave here. Now it'll go out on on short uh, um, um, uh, flights, you know, to to uh, you know memorialize Irwin and the pilots that flew in World War I. Uh, it could, we envisioned it could fly next to Doc. The Doc flies about three times faster than this DH-4. The DH-4 is quite a bit slower. But yes, the whole idea, the aviation community in Wichita wants to see it fly. Uh, and eventually we could see it possibly being static displayed inside the terminal. But that's going to take some pull, a lot of approval by city officials and people like that. But that's that could happen down the road, but right now we want to eventually hangar it in Wichita with flight line access, and then uh, um, so we'll fly for you know quite a few years to come. Has the has the airport authority, city of Wichita, have they been receptive or uh, helpful in well, this plan? Well, what's interesting, Steve, is we talked we we brought it forth to the uh, mayor. We had a we had a meeting with the mayor, uh, Vice Mayor Cindy Claycomb, and. City Councilman Brandon Johnson on May 26. They liked it. It wasn't an official meeting. They referred us to the airport advisory group. They voted uh, seven to nothing to approve it. Its display inside the airport, and then we went in front of the city council on June 16th. They approved it seven to nothing with conditions. It had to meet the conditions of the uh, design council and also the engineering specs and structural engineering and all that sort of thing and architectural specs. Well, we were in the process of working that. We went for the design council in early July, and they voted it down four to three. And uh, and so we decided at, at that time we were in the process of negotiating the purchase agreement to make it airworthy, which really meant we weren't going to display it inside the terminal, the aircraft. And so we, you, know, you can't have a flyable airplane displayed. It's either got to be static and never fly again or not at all. So... Uh, it really didn't matter what the design council voted. We we're going to we're going to put it in a hangar and fly it. So that's kind of where that went. But yeah, we've had quite a few dealings with the city. They know about this. They're excited about it. But there's a lot of political hoops to jump through anytime you want to put a a display inside a city-owned property like our airport. Have you received any government funding for this project? No, and we won't. Uh, well, I don't know if we will, but how about, we haven't asked for it. How about help from organizations interested in local history? Uh, oh gosh, yes. I mean, we need, we need. <coughs> excuse me, we need funds, and uh, um, we're, we're we're talking with the EAA. Uh, we're talking with some of the top aviation heads. We're talking with Russ Meyer, uh, the retired Cessna CEO. Um, and we're just we're just really starting our reach out because we're we're getting our handout materials together. We still have a few more to go before we have a full tool belt of uh, 
our tool chest of handout materials, but we're working on it as I speak. Um, we're, we're doing shows, gun shows, uh, table displays at Dillon stores and, and, and areas like that. So we want to get it out to the masses and get material in people's hands so they know what's going on. They can donate if they want. We have a website, which is uh, bamfoundation.net, B-A-M foundation.net. If people want to go to it, check out some photos and the story behind Bleckley and the aircraft, and also they can click a donate button to, to help our cause. So what's your target for completion of, of this project? When do you, when do you, what's your deadline? Well, you know, we projected, great question, uh, his, his Medal of Honor was presented at a huge ceremony for back then. On March 4th, 1923, at the old Wichita Forum, 5,000 people attended. There were generals, colonels, all the politicians from locally, his parents. His Medal of Honor was presented to his parents on that day in a big ceremony, and they even shut the lights off at night temporarily to honor Irwin. And we thought, why not Why not have the dedication, have this all wrapped up and dedicate it around that time, March of 2023. So that's kind of a tentative deadline. You know, it's, it's movable, but this is a three or four year project that we're, that we're involved in. So let me, let me interrupt you there and just say what, in a nutshell, what you're looking at is not only a flyable vintage World War I aircraft, but also a static display inside the Eisenhower terminal. Is that about it? Correct. Okay. Correct. Which, which ultimately, Steve, will cost, we think the projected cost will be several million dollars when it's all said and done. Well, well how are you going to raise money for that one, then? Or is that going to come from the city? No, it's going to come from the public and the okay. community. And, okay. and just, you know, benefit, benefactors and uh, wherever, whatever source. Uh, the city told us they don't have any money. They're in a shortfall. You know, right yeah. now, as you well know, and uh, so we're not. We never asked them for funds, uh, though we wouldn't turn them down if they had the excess funds. But uh, we're not expecting funds from government entities, so we have to raise it ourselves. So you get people like uh, our listeners out there right now. They need to find the checkbook or whatever and, and get in touch with you. Well, exactly. Uh, we and we we are looking for if if people are part of groups where they are interested in having us come out and talk about this give a short presentation where we welcome that. Um, we we want to get the word out as much as possible. I talk Erwin Bleckley. Um, I, I wake up and I can talk about Erwin Bleckley if that needs to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's it is probably, it's a cause that started on February 12th, 19, uh, 2018, from an idea that I had just to honor him on the centennial of his death, even if it meant standing around his memorial at the VA and saying a few words in a moment of silence. And it's gravitated towards this huge undertaking that's uh, taken on a life of its own. So it's it's really pleasing to see what's happened. When you present Erwin Bleckley in a in a professional way, people can't stay away from. Him. People are inspired by the courage of this young man, and all we are, Steve, are the messengers and presenters. If we do it right, people will uh, people be will be inspired, and they are inspired. Okay, this is called the call to action. Exactly. Where can I? Where do I go to the web? The web page. What do we do? Web page is the best. Uh, the best venue to go to bamfoundation.net. And that's all and one word. There, that's all yes. one word. Bamfoundation.net. Okay. Bam Foundation. And Bam, of course, stands for Bleckley Airport Memorial. Yes. Okay. You go there, and you there. Are, you just follow the steps that are shown there. And that's the way you do it, huh? 
Yeah, there's 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 uh, three or four uh, donate buttons. Uh, you can donate by um, you know debit credit card. There's a PayPal uh, access there too. Um, if people want to write a check, we have our address. We have our everything's there okay. for people to to uh, all the information for people to donate. Okay, and we're going to raise some money, and we're going to do. I'm I'm going to be involved. I know that at least with a little bit of a check, and and I think this is a good cause, and I think people will want to get involved. We want to thank you. Uh, Greg, for your work and and all the others work on this because I think it's valuable and it, it has a place and a purpose in our history and our I'm a history lover and I love this story and we're going to do something about it. So thank you for spending some time with us this week on issues. We appreciate your time, Greg, and uh, we'll hope to talk to you uh, very soon. Our guest this week, Greg Zerker with the Bleckley Airport Memorial Foundation. That's all for this edition of Issues 2020. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 